Welcome to the Word at First Prez. The sermon you're about to hear is not part of a regular sermon series. It stands on its own and can be instructive to our Christian faith in its own way, even though it's not linked to other sermons. I hope you enjoy. Let us continue our worship with our first scripture reading, coming from Psalms 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for her young, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are, all, are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belts of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak a message, it may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly 
as I must speak. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Life feels really hard these days, and I've heard that from people of all ages. The news is terrible. The Taliban have taken Afghanistan. We are still airlifting thousands of allies and Americans out of Kabul. We don't have any reassurance about what will happen to the women, many of whom were not even born 20 years ago under Taliban rule, what will happen to their rights and privileges. Haiti is a disaster that is beyond our imagination. Thousands were killed by the earthquake, more killed by the floodwaters ravaging through the towns and cities now. The poverty in Haiti is beyond what even the poorest in this country can understand. And then there is this endless pandemic. My husband, Ken, heard it compared to a marathon. I am definitely not a marathon runner. I don't know really how anyone can push themselves to do that 26.2 miles, I believe. But we thought that we had run the marathon last year, that we had crossed the finish line when they put a shot or two in our arms. But instead, what happened is someone ripped the first number off our jersey, slapped a second number on us, and said, keep running. It's defeating and it's exhausting. Put your masks back on, wash your hands, get a vaccine if you haven't gotten one, and if you have, roll up your sleeves for the third. People talk about returning to normal, but I'm not sure if we know what normal is anymore. It's quite possible that we'll be putting masks on and taking them off for months, maybe even years, to come. A third shot will probably lead to the need for an annual booster. Buildings remain empty because people found out they can work from home. And frankly, they don't want to go back to the office. People are leaving jobs or refusing to work the once demanded 60 and 70 hour work weeks because the pandemic showed them that life could be different and maybe should be different. Life is difficult and it is hard to know who we are anymore or where we are going. Churches remain half full for most and we don't know what will happen when fall programming starts. Now, this is not the first time in our history as a country that things have been difficult or challenging. We are not the first or the only people to struggle, to feel weary and defeated. Still, we have important questions to answer, important issues facing us, and important decisions to make as a church and as a larger community. And so did those Christians in Asia Minor in the first century of Christianity. The people reading the letter to the Ephesians suffered daily harassment and discrimination. They were forced under threat of death to worship the emperor at the temple Domitian, even though it went against what they were told to do as Christians. 
Ephesus was a thriving seaport. It was a place where many cultures lived, and it was the place where the goddess Artemis was worshipped. The Christians in Ephesus were surrounded by people who believed in things that were different from what they were told to believe in. They were a minority. They were oppressed. Those who gathered at the church had no voice, no power, no platform in their community. They didn't fit in anywhere. Being Christian was illegal. You know, so often we think about that first century church as having had all the answers of being this fresh new thing. It was illegal until 313 AD under Constantine when it became approved as an imperial religion. At this point in time in Ephesus, there's no doctrine. There's no Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed. There's no list of who can and can't get baptized. There's no certain way to celebrate the Lord's Supper or certain elements that must be used. And get this, I don't think there were any committees at all. <laughs> the people come to church week in, week out. They listen to the stories of Jesus. They don't even have a Bible from which to read. There is no canon yet. They learn how to be followers of this new teaching. And my guess is that they were often discouraged and afraid. They were often wondering how they were supposed to act, who they were supposed to be. The letter to the Ephesians is full of instructions on how to be a faithful disciple, how to be an exemplary influence on your community, on your culture, on your society. Today, we read from the end of this letter, which kind of sums everything up with very specific instructions on how you live the life of discipleship in a culture that is predominantly turned against you. Be strong in the Lord. Stand firm. Stand with the belt of truth around your waist. Put shoes on your feet that will take you, walk you in a path of peace. Hold the shield of faith. Wear the helmet of salvation and carry the sword of the Spirit or the Word of God. These are military images turned upside down, as so much of Christianity turns things upside down. Every item of clothing listed in these verses was worn by the guards at the crucifixion of Jesus. They were decked out in their breastplates, in their boots, in their helmets, in their belts, they were ready for war. They were wearing the full armor of the army of Rome. The Christians in Ephesus are being in, uh, encouraged to put on the armor of God, not a military armor. 
The only weapon they carry is the sword of truth, but that's the word of God that they've heard and internalized in their hearts. They're not called to bear arms against human agents, but against all the forces that battle their inner spirits. Forces that are dark and create depression and despair and anxiety. Forces that threaten their lives simply because they are trying to follow the way of Jesus. Forces like the Roman government or those who worship the goddess Artemis. Forces like the high price of food in the market or the fact that they can only live in certain areas of the community. Forces that take away their voice, their hope, that forces that depersonalize them. Forces that tell them to put on masks and get vaccines. Their responses to these forces is not to be despair or hopelessness. It is not resignation. Instead, they are told to stand firm and persevere in spite of the evil and the negativity that surrounds them. They are invited to prepare for war, but not a war that pits human against human. A war that strengthens them spiritually as individuals and communities so that they can stand firm against the powers and principalities that would destroy them. They are being called to deepen their spirituality, to live more fully into the way of Jesus, to live in ways that exemplify compassion, justice, and courage. When Paul tells them to stand firm, he is not telling them to be stubborn. Standing firm means that we're willing to debate. We're willing to listen and consider alternatives without that stubborn sense of my way or the highway. I'm right, you're wrong. Standing firm means that we work with one another to reach mutually beneficial goals for the betterment of our church, for the betterment of our community. So what is our goal as a church? Is it to hold fast to our doctrine that says this is true and this is not? Is it to hold fast to our 1030 worship time and our dwindling attendance? Although I must commend you all today, it's quite full in here. Is it to move out into our community with acts of compassion? Is it to do things the way we've always done them? As evil and violence surround us, as the pandemic wears away at us, how do we demonstrate to others that we are choosing love so that we can be the light that changes the world? Paul tells the Ephesians to be disciplined in their spiritual practices. I suggest that the advice is the same for us. Rather than wringing our hands and wondering what it's going to look like in here when we go to two services, and if we'll ever see 400 people in church again, 
Perhaps we put on the helmet of salvation and venture out into our community and find new ways of demonstrating the love of Jesus. Perhaps when you decide to deliver one of those wonderful brochures, which I also have, perhaps then you also decide to take time to listen to a neighbor's story. Or maybe you bring cookies with this. Or maybe you just ask someone how they are today, this minute. Rather than wondering how much longer we're going to have to wear this piece of cloth over our mouth that fogs our glasses and makes us feel as though we can't breathe, maybe we join a Bible study, increase our giving of time and talent to the church. Maybe we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do right now on August 22nd, 2021? Perhaps the answer is that we step up with the belt of truth fastened around our waist and say yes when we get a phone call about being a shepherd or a high school Sunday school teacher. Perhaps rather than sending emails to people, we invest in face-to-face -face conversations on hard subjects. Perhaps we speak the truth to one another in love. Perhaps we learn again about someone like Nelson Mandela and how he rose to leadership from prison even while he stood against apartheid. Perhaps we read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letters from a Birmingham jail and consider an act of civil disobedience. Perhaps we too are being called to put on the breastplate of righteousness the helmet of salvation, and the shoes of peace, so that rather than stand as a militaristic guard at the cross of Jesus, we can stand as people who are determined to bring God's kingdom to reign here and now. Rather than be defeated, it is time for us to dig deep and find the resilience that has seen us through other difficult times. It is time for us to live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, witnessing in every way to the love of God. Life is difficult. It always has been. More difficult for some than for others. More difficult sometimes than other times. And we are in a pretty difficult time right now. This current pandemic has raised up enemies beyond the virus, and we don't have a clue, really, how we're fighting this virus. But now we also have the enemies of racial segregation, racism, poor education in schools, inequity in pay, domestic terrorism, false information. We have enemies of despair and hopelessness. We don't face these enemies alone. We can't face them alone. We are inadequate for the battle. Instead, we face these enemies with God's armor, truth, righteousness, faith. We face these enemies with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We face these enemies by engaging in conversation with people who have different perspectives than we have, even when we think we already know it all. We are not the enemy. The person next to you or behind you or in front of you in the pew is not the enemy, not even the person who just took your parking spot at Jewel is the enemy. No, the enemy is gun violence in the streets of Chicago. The enemy is poor housing and lack of educational opportunities, particularly for black and brown people. The enemy is joblessness or jobs that pay inadequate wage for living. The enemy is disrespect and disregard for the police. The enemy is the depersonalization of other people. The enemy is that which keeps us from building a closer and deeper relationship with God and a deeper understanding of our faith. The enemy is that which keeps us from standing firm and acting in a way that is consistent with what we say we value. We are invited to persevere in prayer, in compassion, in working for justice, in learning, and in deepening our relationship with God. In all of these things, we are asked to be people of resilience, people who never stop loving the other, people who never stop working for justice, people who learn and grow in our spiritual practices every day, people who regularly wear truth and righteousness and salvation. The armor of God empowers us for this type of action, the type of action that involves loving God and loving our neighbor. Action that can make a difference. Action that can be taken even when we feel beaten up and beaten down. Action that allows us to live the life to which we have been called, fully outfitted with the armor of truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. Action that brings the kingdom of God to bear here and now. May it be so for you and for me. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.